0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Welcome into the latest edition of the Inside Carolina Podcast. This is On The Beat Live, coupled with the game plan. Got plenty to talk about this week. Johnny T-Shirt's our sponsor. Let's mm. get it. Uh, The game plan and on the beat, that means Gregory Hall, Greg Barnes, and Jason Staples joins us again. It's been a couple weeks or a month or so since Jason's been on this one. Um, Let's start. I thought we were going to do a dual show like we've been doing, but we're not going to spend much time on basketball, given the news that Virginia Tech has some issues. Greg Barnes, what's the latest on that? And where does it stand with Carolina going forward, I believe, to BC on Saturday or yeah, Saturday.
0: Well, BC was one of the, the first teams to kind of get caught up in this recent uh, stretch of, of games that have been affected. So Carolina likely will be in good shape for that game. Although, you know, if, if there continues to be enough players that that pick it up or at least coaches that get it for BC, it could continue to be an issue. Um, you know, this is one of those things where before the season started, the ACC took a hardline stance of, look, you're not able to participate in a game, uh, you're getting a forfeit. It took one game being postponed, and that was the Wake BC game, for the ACC to completely change their plans. Uh, and now it, it's a situation where, um, you know, if a team has a minimum of seven players and one coach that's available to play, uh, if they have that number and they don't play, they get a forfeit. But if, as long as they have that number and can play, they will play. They don't have that number. They're not saddled with a forfeit. So that's the change that just occurred a couple of days ago, and then of course today, right after the news broke, that the UNC's game against Virginia Tech, as well as two other games, would be postponed. Uh, the ACC followed up with after the, the CDC as well kind of changed their their guidelines to now the uh, the quarantine times are, are much shorter. And basically, once a player is asymptomatic. They've got to have back to back negative tests and they're eligible to come back to play where before it had been seven day quarantine and then a negative test. Uh, So we're we're at least shortening the windows of these quarantines, which should help more games be played. Uh, But the way things have kind of been peaking the last couple of weeks, we're not out of the woods yet, but these changes certainly will help.
1: Let me ask you this, Greg, as far as the ACC, I knew, I knew as soon as they changed the rules off of forfeit that we'd start seeing games and a team in particular, wasn't very surprising to see them have issues. Um, but what is the policing of this? Is there any policing of this seven player, one coach rule? Um, and quite frankly, how could they police that and why even have the rule given that I don't know
0: if they even could police it if they tried. Well, there's no policing uh, from the ACC level. And it goes back to, if if you think back to the 2020 football season, uh, because of the financial implications of not playing a season, the ACC, and because of what we saw with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, the ACC wanted to be sure that we, we played a season. In order to do that, you couldn't put all these uh, guidelines in place on teams to, to provide punishment when, in theory, they're doing the best they can to play. And so the ACC very much was like, this is how we're going to try to do things. We want to play as many games as possible. But if you're not comfortable as a program or as an institution, then we're not going to punish you for it. And so the ACC has really taken kind of hands-off approach ever since then. And so with a little bit more of a, a guideline in place, they're hoping that addresses some of these issues. But if a team or a coach decides that it's not in his best interest and he can use this as an out, they're going to do it. I mean, we've it goes beyond COVID, right? I mean, if there's a if there's a way to bend the rules to your advantage, a lot of coaches are going to do it. And uh, you know, if you've got two road games and they're tough games and you've got some issues and you can take advantage of it, uh, go for it.
1: Will there be? Is there a policy to reschedule games? I had. So here, here was our Christmas vacation week here in the Ashley family. Had Hurricanes tickets tonight. That got postponed. Um, have Virginia Tech tickets on Wednesday night. That's been postponed. Got a lot of money in those because lower level regular price tickets are ridiculous in the Smith Center. Uh, and also have bowl responsibilities on Thursday. Obviously, the bowl game is a different story. We'll talk about that. But Greg, what are the... The rescheduling guidelines, have they announced those? Have they? Do they have a plan, or is it just postponed indefinitely?
0: No, it's just a matter of, I mean, they came out with a, the modified version a couple of days ago, and it it's basically the same thing, that uh, they're going to do what they can to reschedule the games. Um, and that that's pretty much it. If a games cannot be rescheduled, uh, it will be considered a no contest. And that's, that's pretty much the extent of it. And then it gets into the – you're having seven available players and a coach – uh, that aspect of it. But, um, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. You, if, if you've got two teams that need to reschedule, you try to find a window where it works. Um, you know, we, we dealt with this last year. And so it's – they'll do their best. But as we saw last year, some teams, it didn't benefit them to reschedule, and so they didn't. And that's how North Carolina ended up playing out-of-conference games against uh, Marquette. And who's the other one? Northeastern maybe?
1: Yeah. Did you say Marquette?
0: Marquette? Did Marquette. I say Marquette? I Marquette? You did say Marquette. Mar- Marquette, I like that.
1: Where did Marquette. we, uh, hey, it got them <laughs> Dawson Garcia, you know. Right. Hey, this guy's important. Uh, All right, so no Carolina basketball this week, possibly at BC this weekend. We'll talk about that more um, if that game happens. But let's get it to the game at hand that is, as of right now, on the schedule. Gregory Hall. Bring me in here, South Carolina, North Carolina. Um, I did see a tweet that said uh, South Carolina was missing a couple coaches and a defensive starter from practice today. Mm. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. But your take on this ball game, I mean, in the uh, wake of all these cancellations, I, I feel like we're talking about a game that may not happen. But if it does, we what's important on Thursday?
2: Well, South Carolina, someone asked um, on the board's, to try to give a rundown on who South Carolina doesn't have. Um, they don't have Zaquandre White. their starting running back who averaged over six yards a carry. Um, they won't have Kingsley. I'm going to butcher his last name, but their edge rusher, Kingsley. And Nagberry. And Nagberry. There you go. Who's got 45 pressures, according to Pro Football Focus, um, comparatively to Mon Fox leads UNC with 27, right? Um, his n- numbers not necessarily – Translate there as far as tackles for loss and sacks. He's got five and two and a half, but still he's putting pressure on the quarterback and not making it easy. Um, And then Jason Brown, their normal starting quarterback, entered the transfer portal. um, And they only have, at least at practice today, only had two available signal callers. um, And the starter will will be Zeb Noland, that graduate assistant, former graduate assistant that used his last year of eligibility this season. so yeah, and then I think there's a myriad of other guys that kind of some backups role players depth guys that South Carolina doesn't have similar to UNC as far as not having a guy like Kyler McMichael. Um, they just have more of those guys out for South Carolina. So um, matchup wise, it just uh, was really important and kind of doesn't necessarily matter. Um, hasn't been affected is Sam Howell in the passing game versus South Carolina's coverage. Um, Jalen Foster, if I'm not mistaken, is second-team All-American safety. He's played bo- in the box at free safety and in the slot almost evenly. Um, so he'll be all over the field. He's got five interceptions. Um, he's second in the nation interceptions. So that's kind of where that battle hasn't been affected because UNC has Sam Howell and South Carolina has Jalen Foster and they've got Cam Smith on at corner who has seven pass breakups and he's got one of the highest coverage grades on pro football focus in the power five. Um, But the other side, UNC's run defense versus South Carolina's rush attack has been affected. So that's just kind of what I'm looking at
1: as we move forward here in the next three days, man. Could you imagine if Carolina was without four starters last year, you know, what I wonder, I, I digress, Jason, how does this affect South Carolina's defense? Clearly losing a guy like Greg pronounced his name correctly is a big deal to them. Um, But South Carolina's been pretty good on defense this year and has had some good games. Does Carolina take advantage of that specifically? um, Or is it just sort of they're going to do what they're going to do and attack South Carolina as they would have if this guy was playing?
3: I think they're going to mostly attack as they would have. Uh, the biggest difference is that I think this allows Carolina to be more balanced. And that's the thing. If you look at South Carolina on the year, like you said, they've had some good performances. I mean, the, the uh, blow out of Florida, uh, you know, who, who else was the big one that they won? They, they, they beat two ranked teams. Uh, um, they
2: beat Auburn. That helps them, Auburn but necessarily. Other... wasn't a big one.
3: Yeah. Uh, but uh, at the time that was a pretty, pretty, pretty decent win. Um, you, you look at what they've done and, you know, they've been able to put together some good games, but they have had, they've been not so good at stopping a run on the year. And when they've given up decent rushing yardage totals, they've not been competitive, basically. Uh, if teams have been able to run the football on them, they, they, they basically had no shot. I think they're zero and four. Uh, In games where opponents have rushed for over 200 uh, and one in six, when opponents have rushed for over hundred, over 180. Uh, So, whereas I think they were undefeated when they held teams below, uh, below that. So, I mean, you think about what they've done defensively, they've, they've got a good pass defense. And if you, if they can keep you from being balanced they can, they can cause you problems. Uh, so I think that's one of the things that if you're Carolina, you're coming into this game and you're saying, okay, the core thing against this defense, the way that they've looked this year, is they've given up some some rushing yardage. And when, they ha- when teams have been able to take advantage of that, they've consistently been able to beat that defense. That's where that comes from. That's, that's where your success is going to come from. Uh, and that's been true for Carolina too. When Carolina has been able to run the ball, they've had, they've had a ton of success because they've been able to, uh, to be balanced. So I think that was going to be the plan coming in. I think that's going to be the plan now. I do think that the absence of some of these guys and, and, and that one in particular, those, those are going to make things a little easier on Carolina in that, in that respect, but I don't think it changes what they're, what they're planning on doing. Jason, since we're talking about South Carolina's defense,
0: um, Clayton White h- had a lot of success uh, when he was at Western Kentucky. He's a three times Paroles Award uh, nominee, which that kind of speaks to what he's done. I mean, this is his first year, uh, kind of, kind of doing this. NC State guy, by I was the way. Say. Yep. Um, but one of the one of the things that uh, as as one of the interesting points about him coming into the season, I heard this a lot from from some of my South Carolina buddies, uh, is with the four two five that he runs, uh, what's unique about it is that he actually has the pre-snap reads set by the secondary, not by the linebackers, and how that allows the secondary to shift coverages uh, quicker, and it makes it easier for them. Uh, is that is that a rare thing, or is that uh, just kind of window dressing? And it sounds better than maybe it it is. What's, what's the benefit of doing something like that if it's a big deal?
3: Um, I think it's probably less of a big deal than some folks might talk about in that respect. Um, it's, it's not nothing, though. Uh, and it reminds me some of what uh, Gary Patterson did at TCU, where their, their, their defense – they, they split things you know in half the field so that they had more coverage flexibility and things like that, where one safety would call half the field, the other safety would call the other half. And then he actually had it so that the, the secondary coverages were detached from the front. It's a different way to do it. It gave them more flexibility in terms of some of the things that they could mix and match. And it could look more exotic uh, at times than it, than it was in terms of being able to teach it to your defense. But... All, all, in all, from the coaching perspective, you're still having to signal the same things. It's just a matter of who's making the call. Uh, I do like it in today's game that you're that you're having your safety, who's going to be out there probably the most, making those calls and being able to do it from back to front. I think modern defense has to be played back to front, uh, so that you you know you're not put into positions that are disadvantageous. Uh, So, I mean, I think there's some benefits to that in, in the sense that, you know, your safeties can kind of see the whole formation a little bit easier and uh, it puts them in a, in a, in a position to be able to do more, but I don't, I don't think it really matters that much uh, in terms of, you know, what it, what, what it's going to do for you as an offense or anything like that in terms of the way that you're going to be able to attack or whatever. I, I don't think once the snap happens, it's going to make that big of a difference.
1: Greg, let me ask you about Carolina's Russian attack. Um, uh, British Brooks is the shiny new nickel um, after his performances at Wofford and NC State. Um, But Ty Chandler has been the man all year. Folks should be healthy by now um, that have been out hurt. Do you see Longo using Brooks as extensively as he did against South Carolina as he did against NC State? assuming everybody else is healthy, Chandler, um, Caleb Hood possibly. You know, he was great against NC State, but he, he wasn't the guy all year. How do you see that working out for Carolina?
0: Yeah, I guess it really just depends on how well British has looked in practice. But you have to remember, I mean, British has, has been around a long time. Uh, and so he's, they've got plenty of practice film on him over the years. And I know they're a little bit surprised with how well he looked against NC State. I think we all were. Uh, and if that carries over, well, then sure, maybe he's earned a few more reps. But, I mean, Ty Chandler is the guy. And I think uh, you a know, key point of why this offense is, has, was able to find its its legs, if you will, on the ground was because of what Sam Howell did. Uh, so there, there's room for multiple guys to get snaps. And I think like what we saw against NC State is uh, they were willing to go with a hot hand. And so I think Ty Chandler certainly will get the, uh, the starter reps, but if he's ineffective, then maybe British is number two on the list to come in and give him some options. Um, I'm, I'm more so than this game. I'm, I'm interested to see what kind of impact he can have in the spring and early next year, because while they got some really young guys who have flashy stars beside their names, uh, it's a very inexperienced group. And so um, I, I think British may, may be able to make the, the most move uh, in the offseason leading into 2022.
2: He has 18 uh, missed or forced missed tackles so far on 26 attempts. Like that, that, I saw that today looking at PFF data. That's insane. It's like almost 0. 0.7, it's like almost averaging 0. 0.7 missed tackles per snap or per attempt. Whereas like Kenneth Walker leads the country. With um missed tackles forced and he's at like 0. 0.3 per attempt, yeah, which obviously like a it's like
3: Williams type number. Literally,
2: it's crazy. I didn't realize, I mean, obviously, like watching him, you know he's running guys over, but I didn't realize he had been attributed 18 miss tackles forced. That's it's a pretty, pretty large number. <laughs> Did you see that's, how many
3: of those were against NC State alone?
1: Uh 10. So my question on that. You know, everybody keeps asking about the offensive line, and one of the questions from the chat is about the offensive line: is where are those missed tackles? Are they four and five yards down the field? Are they in the backfield? Don't they track that too as well?
2: Are you like, saying, where do like, they occur? Oh, like where he's like
1: where British is breaking tackles? Yes, like where are I those tackles being broken? Because Jason wouldn't that that's tracked? Jason wouldn't that. To, to discuss the offensive line wouldn't that be a function of the offensive line if he's trucking guys five and six yards down the field offensive line did their job if he's having to break a tackle in the backfield a little bit different where do you stand there
3: yeah i'm i do not think uh, pff makes that easy to find uh, and i'm not sure they actually post it i mean they i think they actually keep track of it but i don't think it's something that's accessible um but yeah, it wouldn't make a difference. I mean, if you're if three quarters of your missed tackles are because you're you know dodging the first guy in the backfield when you're taking a handoff, that's pretty significantly different than if you're you know two three yards into the hole, four yards down the field, uh, making a guy miss to go from a you know four or five yard run to an eighteen yard run. Those are different things. Uh, from the perspective of the the running back i mean it really doesn't matter you're still you know you're you're making a guy miss either way from the perspective of your offense it makes a heck of a difference you know huge difference so i think from what what we saw against nc state it was almost all downfield i mean it was it was uh, it was stuff that was you know line of scrimmage and beyond i mean they generally did did their jobs up front pretty well in that game Uh, and Wofford, you know, of course was mostly downfield as well. I mean, they didn't get a ton of penetration in that game. So, I mean, I don't think it's a situation where it's a, it's a, uh, it's a matter of the offensive line has not done their job. Therefore he's had to make, he's had to break those. It's that he's, he's made plays when plays have been there to be made.
0: Tommy, the, the closest we have is PFF and their, their rushing direction report, like UNC as a team. Uh, they, they've got them at 6.6 yards per carry and they've got them at 4.0 yards uh, after contact. So using that metric, you're, you know, on average, they're getting 2.5, 2.6 yards up the field before contact. Um, of course it doesn't necessarily happen that way when you're talking about averages, but that's, that's the best we've got in terms of being able to isolate that kind of number in British, for example, is 8.6 yards per attempt and 4.8 yards after contact. So that's even further up the field. That's right at four yards up the field before contact.
1: Jason, what is the – what's the sign of a good of, – of an offensive line effective run balking? What number of that?
3: I mean, that's a hard thing to answer for a couple reasons. One is – you might just say, well, look at yards before contact, right? I mean, it's the offensive line's job to, you know, get a guy into the hole and get him downfield. And then, you know, the, the way that the way that we always did it, uh, you know, coaching, uh, coaching high school ball, what we used to tell our running backs is, uh, you know, it's their job to get you the, get you the one-on-one, and then it's your job to to win the one-on-one, you know, that's, and that's what most, most running backs coaches tell their back, like, look, at a certain point, we're going to get you one on one with that first tackler. It's your job to beat that guy. It's their job to block these guys. It's your job to beat that guy. So, you know, statistically speaking, you say, okay, well, yards before contact. But that the reason I say that's tricky is yards before contact is also a function of vision on the part of the running back and the ability of the running back to set up his blocks. Uh, and I think we saw that the last couple of years with Javante, right? I mean, how many times? And as good as Michael Carter is. And you look at, he's had a pretty good rookie year. I mean, that guy's a really good player. As good as he, as, as a player as he is. Think about the, the number of times that Javante would come into the game, particularly in the second half of games. And all of a sudden it looked like the holes were just gigantic. It's like, well, why weren't those holes there earlier? Well, actually most of the time they were. It's just that Javante had a way of finding them and hitting them at exactly the right time with exactly the right pace from exactly the right angle to make it look to, to make what a normal running back might make look like a, uh, you know, a half a yard crease that he's barely fitting into Javante sets the block up and plants and hits that hole. And all of a sudden it looks like a four yard, four yard chasm. And it's exactly the same. You could watch the same play being blocked the same way. For two different backs, and because one has just elite next level vision and the ability to pair that vision with his feet, he makes all of his offensive linemen look that much better. So they're doing their jobs, but he really, he makes it look like they're really doing their jobs. Uh, and that, and, you know, as good as Chandler is, and Chandler's a guy he's a finisher. He's got great speed, and this has you know been the thing we've talked about all year with with him. You get him into the open field and he's gone, right? Major big play threat, major uh, threat out of the backfield with, with great hands, can run routes, and a good overall runner, but does not have great vision. He's not a guy that just sets up blocks and does a great job making his offensive line look look better than they are, right? I mean, it's kind of like having a point guard who makes everybody around him on the offense look better because he's just seeing stuff that other people don't um, Chandler's not that he, he's physically, he's physically amazing an amazing back, but he's not Javante when it comes to division. To so you might say, okay, well, clearly the offensive line hasn't been blocking as well for Chandler as they did for, for Williams. But then how much of that, because, you know, because you look at the, you know, yards before contact feature, number and you go oh they they didn't do as good a job well then you go but they're exactly it it might be exactly the same line blocking exactly the same way but one guy is actually making that big of a difference even in the yards before contact so statistically i don't know that there's an an easy reliable way to do it you just kind of have to proxy it and you say okay you know here's the yards before contact here's the yards before contact across like three running backs that get time and you know here's Here's how that shakes out. You have to look at it more than anything. You have to look at it on film and say, are they getting guys blocked? And are they creating seams within the scheme where guys should be hitting them? Uh and I thought Brooks and the, and the thing that really stood out about him in those last couple games is he flashed vision where he hit some things at exactly the right time and exactly the right spot with great acceleration. And it looked like he had more space to run than Carolina's had most of the year. And I think some of that was a function of him having really done his job in terms of the vision part and tying his feet and and his cuts to his, his eyes, the way that he should have. And that that was a big factor in his success as much as anything else in those games. So I don't know that the offensive line necessarily blocked better, but I think Brooks set them up really well in those two games.
2: You would see. Obviously leads the ACC in rushing yards total, two hundred and twenty a game, right? Um, you break it down. Someone in the chat mentioned, except in like great offensive line run blocking, right? The rushing attack's been great. Yes, Sam Howell kind of does some of that on his own with scrambling and things like that. But still, um, I mean Mac when offensive line gets brought up, and we talked about on the nice or naughty list, right? Run blocking offensive line great. Pass protection not great. Um, but in the red zone, looking at run blocking or not run blocking, but just, um, situational stats and when UNC does in the red zone, um, they average over almost six yards of carry in every other 20 yard zone on the field, except the red zone. And in the red zone, they average 3.3 yards per carry. And then talking about specific to South Carolina, as far as matchups here, um, South Carolina defensively in the red zone is one of the best teams in forcing opponents to settle for, or to settle for field goals. Um, 130 uh, FBS teams here. South Carolina is 127th um, or I guess fourth in field goal percentage. 37% of times opponents settle for field goals. UNC has the highest offensive field goal percentage in the ACC in the red zone um so if they can't get the ground game going in the red zone they're going to be settling for a lot of field goals on Thursday and as great as the rushing attack has been that's where it's been lacking and I think that's where fans get frustrated as far as and we've seen it multiple times they've got third and short fourth and short and they can't get a yard or a couple yards um and South Carolina is going to make them pay on Thursday if that happens again.
1: Greg, let me ask you about British Brooks. One more question about him before we move off of this. And it's, I guess it's related to the offensive line too. If British played, and I'm looking back, I know what hindsight is, but if, if British Brooks played like he did against NC state in the orange bowl last year, Carolina wins that ball game or very likely does. He looked like a completely different player in games, 11 months apart. Why?
0: Well, I'm sure the coaches are asking that same question. And is, I, it, what, is,
1: it, is it on the players? Is it coaching development is, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, for sure all that plays a role. But I, I think Mac summed it up best when he said that for whatever reason, what happened against Wofford provided uh, British with a lot of confidence. And maybe it was the fact that he went into the state game thinking this was going to be his final regular season game against a rival. I mean, he's from Gastonia. NC State means a lot. That's textile capital of the world, for those who may not know. And um, he just – he felt it. And, yeah, I think all of us were surprised at how good he looked. But, uh, you know, that's one of the things. It's it's easy for us to, to sit here and kind of point out, hey, he looked different. I mean, even the coaches are like, I don't know. Like, he looked great. Like, if he could do that every time, he could be our starting tailback next year. Uh, it's just, just one of those things, one of the joys of the game.
1: It is um, – is it- it's crazy the difference. Go ahead, Gregory. The Central
2: Michigan or Boise State just had to or had to pull out of um, that Barstool Bowl on New Year's Eve, and then they just put Central Michigan in the Sun Bowl. So a little quick, same Good day. Good for Central Michigan. Turn around to sun. go. Um, sun Bowls in El Paso, right? Hasn't yeah, UNC yep. played in that?
0: Yes, 2016.
2: Um, so I guess they were about to travel to Arizona. For the Barstool Bowl, and now they're going to El Paso. So that at least I somebody think they found
0: were. a. I think I saw what they were actually already in Arizona.
2: Oh, they're already there? I believe so. Yeah. Well, that's even crazier for them to be like, all right, well, we want to play.
0: They want to play. So, yeah. That's awesome. It.
2: Yep.
1: Fun fact even though it wasn't the first opt out, why is the 2016 Sun Bowl relevant, Gregory? Oh, was, you were still in high school. I forgot.
2: I don't know. They played Stanford that year, didn't they? Yeah. Who was Didn't Miles Garrett absolutely destroy Carolina?
1: No, that was Solomon. Whatever his name
2: is.
0: Wilcox. Yeah. Uh,
1: Christian McCafferty opted out of that bowl
2: against
0: McCafferty. Right. Is that what you, McCafferty? Yeah. McCafferty?
2: Is that what you said?
3: Whatever. Uh,
2: yeah. Marquette McCafferty.
1: Yeah, it's a uh,
2: Christmas We're limping Eve limping into the
3: new year here, guys. <laughs> yeah, really,
1: this week does not count. I just right? said
0: Solomon Wilcotts as well. So yeah, we are limping.
1: Solomon up. Thomas or something? What was yeah. his name? I can't remember. He he ran uh Mitch Trubisky.
0: Solomon Thomas, yeah. He,
1: he ran Mitchell uh Trubansky all over the field, <laughs>
3: <laughs> including on the, uh, the <laughs> final stretch there, right? Yeah. Wait, what, 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 I'm trying to remember what was the thing that the one announcer called Trubisky.
1: I can't even remember those dudes. I remember, I remember
3: one play-by-play guy got his name completely wrong. I can't remember <laughs> what it was, so.
1: Well, um Look, let's talk about the quarterback that's currently playing. I think we all agree we're kind of surprised or not surprised, or I'm a little surprised that Howell played, but given the fact that Sam Howell's from Charlotte, and like he said, basically mimicked Daz New- Newsom. <laughs> he said, I'm a ball player. I play. Jason – What do we expect to see for the game plan for Sam Howell against South Carolina? Will it be any different given that it's a bowl game, given that um, it's his last game at Carolina, given that it's, you know, what do we expect from Phil Longo and staff on on a game plan for Howell?
3: You know, given all of that, I would expect it to look basically like it has. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you try, if you start to try to adjust things and do things differently because it's a a last game or whatever else, first of all, you're typically not going to be as successful, and second of all, in my view, you're more likely to get a guy hurt because you know you're you're playing sort of it. it it's the guys that are playing, you know, that are playing not to get hurt, that are that are that are more easily gonna get hurt. Right. You have to you have to play this game at a with a uh with a level of aggression and violence and all of that to be able to to actually stay healthy. I mean there's a that's one of the paradoxes that anybody who's played the game will tell you. You can't play scared. Yeah. You just can't. And if you do, you're gonna get hurt. So and I think you, the same thing goes for, for scheme and everything else. I mean, you talk about this with your player and you say, look, if you're going to, if you're going to pull off on this, you need to, you need to step, you need to step away because I'm going to call this the way that I normally would. And, you know, you need to make sure that, that you're ready, that you're ready for that. Because if we do it any other way, then that's going to be bad for the team and also ultimately bad for you. So I think it, I think it's going to be that. I think it's going to be the same, the same thing they've been doing. You're going to see Sam tuck and run and you know he's a ball player he's gonna he's gonna make the plays as he sees them uh he's gonna hold on to the ball at times longer than he should uh sometimes that's gonna turn out really good with big plays other times it's not so you know that's gonna be what we're gonna see i don't think it's gonna be any different than it than it was before
2: greg is it safe to say based on kind of how mac was talking um i guess that was last week that this will be less about the future and more about the now on Thursday. Whereas last year was like, all right, let's see what we can, who we can like replace with the opt-outs and whatnot. And kind of like, when we were talking about this bowl game last year, we were talking about like, all right, let's see what this team can put together moving forward. But I feel like Mac is kind of honing that back and being like, no, this game is very important to us as far as winning right now. It feels, it just feels different than it did last year. Is that accurate?
0: Yeah, I agree. And uh, you know, I said last year, I thought the fact that the team made it to the Orange Bowl was an incredible accomplishment. And and win or lose, that was something they could hang their hat on and that would be beneficial for recruiting and for program building and all that. Whereas I think this year, to your point, they need a win to keep the momentum going. You don't want to go into the offseason with a with a losing record. Um, and I think when you combine that with the fact there's some key key seniors on this team uh there's sam howell on this team who as i've said before Mike has has really highlighted uh in front of the camera and behind the camera of just how critically important he was for bridging this gap from the fedora era to where we are now so i think there's a, a incredible level of respect within the coaching staff for what sam howell has meant to this program uh and so i i agree with you i, I think there's there's a lot of reasons for this game to mean an awful lot for, for this entire program. Uh, Sam being a key part, but also you got to get to seven and six. You do not want to have a, a losing record in here. You want to be able to continually build and finishing the season on, on a high note after what happened against NC state, I think is uh, very important.
2: There's also Tamon Fox and someone asked if this is the first game, this is the game that Des Evans gets his, one sack and add it at me. This is the one game I'm not rooting for Des Evans to get a sack because that'll take away from Taman and Taman's two and a half away from Julius Peppers. And I think that would, or not Julius Peppers. No, yeah. Julius Peppers Um, for is second he all close? time. Is yeah, that close to the second? He, he's at 28 and Peppers is at 30 and a half. Greg Ellis oh. has the lead at 32 and a half. So like if he has a crazy game um, I think his career high is three sacks in a game. Um, But I mean, he could at least get to Peppers.
0: What so were I'm you doing? Re- what were you doing in early September of uh 2016, Gregory?
2: Early September of 2016, I it was been, what, in my grade? first month of senior year of high oh. school.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. well, that was Tamon's first game. So he's been around a while. Go. Uh he's played a little bit longer than uh either Ellis or, <laughs> or I was gonna say Julius. he played against
1: Georgia, didn't he?
0: He did. He looked good in that game, yeah. <laughs>
1: I can't even remember. Wasn't Nick Chubb there running back?
0: Yep. That was Good Kirby's gracious. first year. I guess I would have been
2: working on my UNC application September of 2016.
0: Wow, hey,
1: and you were in the ninth grade?
0: Random, no, you random aside since we're doing all this this stupid trivia. Tommy, do you know who <laughs> South Carolina's running back coach is?
1: Oh, it's uh, Montario Hardesty. Yeah. <laughs> Tennessee. That, yeah. Is, uh, that was one of the great uh, recruiting Recruitments It
0: was, yeah. It was great. <laughs> I thought Bunning had him.
1: What is up with South Carolina? They got Tennessee guys, they got state guys coaching for them. Hmm. Crazy down there. Look, let's talk about Carolina's defense. Is this a? Uh, I know you you spoke of Taman Gregory, but is it sort of like a? It's time to show out for Des and the other guys, especially since Carolina's gone out and gotten Noah Taylor from Virginia, a guy who I doubt is transferring to North Carolina to sit.
0: That is a very loud push, Tommy.
1: Very loud push.
0: Yes,
1: by the coaching I'm, staff. Yep, that is to say, get it or get it, get it on or get it on. That's what do you think,
0: Firecrackers at their feet. <laughs> Let's get it,
1: guys. <laughs> what do you think, Gregory? Is your guy getting? Is it get along or get along? Come on, Des Evans against South Carolina. What's he? I doing? mean,
2: I just you have to show that you're going to play with the energy and like want to and desire whether or not it actually reciprocates. I mean, we talked earlier this year about how sometimes as an edge rusher his first step is back um so it just it can't it can't be that um even like especially like on on pass rush place on actual passing downs your first step can't be back as an outside linebacker as an edge rusher unless you're dropping back into coverage but he wasn't on most of those times that notice so yeah you just kind of look the results don't need to be there i guess because i mean they relies on a lot of things we still need to at least show that you've made significant progress to then carry over into the spring um i imagine these transfers aren't where when is it i don't i guess when does it take place ty chandler was here in the spring wasn't he do cory gainer and no taylor will they both be here in the spring yeah it doesn't care. count as January. like the
1: early enrollees right i kept
0: waiting I mean, for the sec to transfer. figure out or say a little bit different
1: yeah, I kept waiting to see th- that Rattler was suiting it up for South Carolina in this game. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something if they could transfer
2: midseason <laughs> like, and he could show up? I mean, they need him. Regardless if he <laughs> knows the playbook, they
1: need somebody. I would but take yeah. him over who they got. Jason, what kind of audition is going on for some of these guys given a transfer like that? Or is it?
3: Well, I mean, every, every game's an audition. And I think a bowl game is always a big audition for every, everybody as they're moving into the next year. So anybody that's on the roster is trying to, I mean, we saw, we were just talking about like, well, what happened between British Brooks in the bowl game and this year. And we talked about in, in, you know, the last time I was on uh, the, in the IC podcast, we talked about why, you know, if British Brooks was was that good, why was why wasn't he playing? Well, you know, he didn't play as well in the bowl game last year. Mm-hmm. That's why these auditions matter, right? You, you you only get so many opportunities to demonstrate to the coaching staff that you're the guy. And if you don't do it in the bowl game and then you don't do it in the spring game, then you know, when you've got five or six other running backs on the roster, it's gonna be hard to prove it once you get to camp and you're not gonna get the reps in season. So yeah, this is a big deal for players who are, you know, especially on the younger side who are auditioning to demonstrate that they should be the dude, you know, going at that spot, going into next year that they should be a guy that that's getting more reps, that they should be a guy that's not, you know, that the coaching staff's not trying to go in and get a, uh, a transfer to replace, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, I think it's a. I think there's a lot of motivation there for players who want to take that step forward, and certainly coaches are going to be, um, are going to be pushing that as a motivational thing with their players at that level, saying like, "Look, this is the last film you're going to give us for months here, guys. This is the last taste you're going to give us. What? Where do you want to be on the depth chart? Where do you want us to? You know, what what do you want us to think going into into next year?" in terms of where we should put you. That's going to be a factor. Um, and by the way, as for Des Evans, one of the questions for me, you know, in terms of sacks available in this game is I'm not sure how many times South Carolina's going to throw the football, right? I mean, given the quarterback situation that they've got, I mean, the, the starter that they've got, he runs it better than he throws it. So well, their I mean, running
2: back situation is not much better.
3: Yeah. And, and by the way, little trivia, anybody know where Zaquandre White, the uh, running back who who opted out? Uh you said he was averaging six yards a carry. Anybody know where he started?
2: Like his college career?
3: Yeah. No.
1: Florida State. That's
3: correct.
2: Oh, he was, that was he the was, easy he,
3: guess. <laughs> he was he was actually part, interesting thing, he was actually part of the same recruiting class as Cam Akers. Wow. So it was him, it was him, Cam Akers, and Kalon Leborn were the three running backs that they landed in that in that recruiting class. Which, if you think about it, that was just an absurd recruiting class of running back talent and then you know acres left early and zaquandre white transferred out you know there were some other issues and he transferred to juco and then uh then to south carolina and balled out so good for him for getting things turned around but that's a guy when i saw his name pop up earlier this year i was like whoa whoa whoa, whoa, he's still playing <laughs> because i mean that's that was ages ago and he's managed to to really do that but He's a guy that they don't have now, and he he's a guy that's going to be playing in the NFL, and suddenly they don't have that back. But I I think you're gonna. I think if you're Bateman, you've got to be preparing for a quarterback run-heavy scheme from South Carolina in this game. That they're probably going to try to run the quarterback and run the eleven-man running game to to neutralize some things this year or this bowl game. We're gonna Shane
2: Shane in the chat said (laughs) last time last time UNC went against a team like this, Baylor's still running.
0: Uh, (laughs) That that is a NCAA bowl record, rushing yards that still stands. Uh, And that's
3: going to stand probably for a long time. I (laughs)
1: can't believe it's just a bowl record. I mean.
0: Yeah. Uh, To Jason's point, though, Nolan, (laughs) uh, the most passes he's thrown in a game this year is 24. Um, And he's got on the season, he's thrown six touchdowns against one interception before those touchdowns came against. Eastern Illinois in the opener. Um, Yeah, this is one of those games where uh, Bateman can close the season looking really good against a really bad offense. Um, There's no reason Carolina shouldn't come close to shutting this team out.
2: Or Uh, he could look really bad by allowing them to run all over the field.
0: Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen for his sake. Um, But, yeah, there's no – I mean, this is one of those games where you'll probably see a (laughs) legitimate 3-4 – Set right just gone to jason's point where south carolina has to be able to run the ball to have any success force Um,
3: that quarterback and those receivers to beat your corners and your secondary and load up in the box i mean that's the scheme that's what you're doing in this game bring pressure load up and see if they can if they can run the football when you're when run the football against your heavy packages because i mean yeah, maybe they maybe they hit you for a couple big plays, but you got to think that your offense is going to be able to score you know at least say 28 in this game, 30 points. And so, you know, that's going to require four or five busts from your secondary basically. That's that's the way I'm I'm scheming this. If I'm the defensive coordinator, I'm saying, look, they're going to have to beat my secondary and my corners for for long touchdowns four or five times for us to lose this game but they are sure as heck not going to run the football on me with this personnel. I'm going to make sure that they're going to, if they're going to be one dimensional, it's going to be because we couldn't cover them. Yeah. Tommy,
0: people listening may not, may not know the story, but Zeb Nolan was a graduate assistant coach for South Carolina to start training camp this year. And granted he played at Iowa state. And then uh, he was behind uh, who was it? Trey Lance at North Dakota state. Um, so he's played at the, you know, at, at the power five level at Iowa State, of course, but he was a graduate assistant coach back in early August. And then when Luke, Do- Luke Doty got hurt, they're like, well, we need somebody. So suit up. And, uh, he started a couple games and I think he ended up starting four games and then they went to the other guys, but he's, he's back in action. So, uh, not and, the, and again, uh, I
3: don't think he's going to be the only guy that's going to play. Right. I mean, he's going to start, but do you think he's going to be the only quarterback that's going to play? I mean, I think uh, they Gauthier only have two, but I think Gauthier is going to be, I think he's going to play. And that's part of why I think you're going to see some, some run stuff.
1: Did right. you say Gauthier in that Gautier? I have no idea how they, how they pronounce that. <laughs> this there. has not been our best showing. <laughs> this is uh hooked on phonics. Uh, is it, need... I mean, is
3: it Gautier? I don't know how he does it. I mean, it's just, it's, it's South Carolina. I just figured he was... pronounced it South Carolina style.
1: I don't know. They say Buford instead of Beaufort. So I'm like not I said, sure. I
3: got here, right. Got there. how the
0: pronunciation guy has it. Okay. Nice. There you go.
1: You had it right. My bad. I, I digress. He's again. trying to be French. Gre- <laughs> Gregory, uh, since you're on this game plan podcast, I'm going to make you go first oh. on predictions.
2: Um, I think South Carolina's defense will give UNC's offense a fit here. Um, I mean, South Carolina averages, holds opponents like 24 points a game. Um, I don't think UNC uh, – I think it's at 24. I think UNC scores 24, and I think South Carolina's offense can't get anything going. But it's going to be close because UNC's defense isn't necessarily worldly. So I, I'm, giving, I'm going
3: 24-21 UNC. Mm. Jason. I'm, I think Carolina's going to have more success offensively than uh than junior does here so uh (laughs) so yeah i i think this is a game that carolina the, the spread i think is is nine uh and i think Carolina's probably pretty likely to to cover that uh south carolina did play better down the stretch uh again you know some decent wins down the stretch i mean florida uh Auburn, and then you know they they put up a bagel against Clemson, but you know that's that's a pretty dang good Clemson defense. But I think they're going to have a hard time scoring in this game. Uh, I don't see them running it all over the field, Uh, and I think Carolina is going to be pretty balanced. I think they're going to be able to run the football against that defense, given some of the guys that have that have opted out, Uh, and I think that's going to be the difference. Carolina is going to be able to be going to be balanced with Sam Howell and I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to be balanced and they don't have Sam Howell so uh, I think it's going to be something closer to uh, I think I I think Carolina is probably going to cover in this game I think it's going to be something like 31 to uh, 13 in this game something somewhere in there
1: Greg Barnes I'll go ahead and get mine in one I'll say I think a butt kicking is coming if they play I'm not Sold that this game's going to happen. And if they don't announce one way or another before midnight tonight, I'm going to eat a hotel room in Charlotte, which is not, does not have me happy. But I, I believe Carolina is going to train wreck South Carolina if they play the game. And I'm talking like not Virginia Tech bowl game, Mac Brown 97, 98 year, but it's going to be, I think, the quote Greg Barnes before we went on air, a bloodbath. If the game happens, Greg, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Uh, some interesting numbers here. South Carolina has trailed in every game against FBS opponents this year. Um, I don't think that's very good. I'll give (laughs) credit for winning, for winning five of them. Uh, they've scored more than 23 points against two FBS opponents. One being Missouri, which in which they scored 28 and then whatever happened against Florida, uh, during the disaster that was early November for the Gators. So I don't, I don't know if I put a lot of stock in that particular game, Uh, but I don't think this offense is very good. I do think the defense is good, but when you, you know, when they had success late in the year, it was with Brown at quarterback. Uh, He is not playing. So we have the Zeb Nolan uh, gentleman playing. And I just think uh, this is, this should be a good opportunity for Jay to have a good performance. uh, Even if, you know, he should have a good performance against a bad offense. But I think that makes things easier for the offense, and Sam doesn't have to press. And in theory, that should help him take advantage and be willing to go for the simple stuff. And if they have to punt, they have to punt without forcing things. That should allow for more hits. And so I, I agree with everybody. I think this is going to be a blowout. Um, spread is nine. I don't understand how it's non. But I've got North Carolina winning this one, uh, 42 to 14.
1: Keep in mind that I picked 12-0 about three Looking and a half Greg. months ago.
2: <laughs> that so, a, uh, that's a crazy stat or
1: prediction there, G-Biggie. Take my uh, – Greg is – Greg's the smart one. I, I'm just gut, and my gut <laughs> was uh, half
2: wrong. Did you wrong, guys so. do a
1: podcast before the Baylor bowl game?
2: I'm sure we did. Are there predictions oh, yeah. there? I need to find those.
3: Yeah, you need to find those. I don't think we were very positive about that one going in, but we did feel <laughs> like uh, they had a good chance to at least limit them defensively, even even though the defense – I said they would good. not
1: rush for 785 yards.
0: There is no Art <laughs> Briles uh, lined up against uh, Jay Bateman on, on Thursday.
1: I, uh, I just feel like this one's going to be a big one for uh, Carolina and, you know – I've been wrong plenty of times before, so if I'm wrong today, folks, I su- I'll see y'all in August of next year. <laughs> you um, mean
3: you've been wrong, but you know many times before. I thought you were twelve and zero.
1: Look, Buck Sanders, when he used to host the podcast, he introduced me with an audio clip that had me saying something to the effect of "Not that I've ever been wrong before." <laughs> so you know, it lives. It lives infamously. A uh, couple things to tease. One, uh, without any Carolina basketball game, we won't have a post-game podcast after that one. And we wouldn't have anyway, because I'll be on the way to Charlotte. We are having Inside Carolina Live tailgate show there in Charlotte, 1200 South Graham Street. Come out and join us. The show starts at 830 in the morning. A little bit early um, for a tailgate, but we'll be living it up. There's a cornhole tournament out there. There's plenty Um, to do. There'll be plenty to eat, bring your food, bring your refreshments. Um, Gregory Hall and Greg Barnes will be there. And I'm sure Jason Staples will call in. And uh, so you might see some more. I think Taylor Vipless might show up if he's able. So it's going to be a fun time out there on Graham Street. Both interns. Both interns. Yes, sir. And just it's a complete IC party. I'll have some IC stickers, maybe a couple of IC hats, anything you need get there also sponsored by johnny t-shirt as always great friends of us great friends of you the InsightCon con premium subscriber christmas is over but the the strive for gear never ends so well, johnny it's the t-shirt third
3: day says, of christmas now no, let's be real it's christmas just started
1: yeah he ain't lying so get on johnny shirtcom and order some more stuff get everything you need they've got all the gear you could possibly want support them they're locally owned and operated on franklin street Boys, uh, this has been fun. This is our last game plan podcast, uh, at least till the spring game. Maybe we'll do one for the spring game for the heck of it. Uh, But Greg, Jason, Gregory, um, yeah, we're going to hype this one. 12-0 going into next year. Can't wait for that train to start rolling. Any last words, boys, before we get out of here and reconvene in Charlotte in two days, three days?
2: Tommy, is this a must-win game? I think so. Greg Barnes agrees with me.
0: I think I agree with that. Yeah.
2: I think this is uh, compared to the other 12 games that have happened. And this might be the most must win game of
1: all of them. I agree with that. You cannot be, have a losing record and sell hope Jason, any last words? I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll end it on that. <laughs> note. <laughs> we will be doing day after pod with Jason Staples, Buck Sanders and myself assuming I survived the trip 9 p or 9 a.m. on Friday morning it will not be live unless Gregory wants to get up and make it live um, but it'll be out on the usual iTunes and YouTube channels boys it's always been fun Carolina and South Carolina 11:30 30 a.m. on Thursday in the Mayo Bowl we'll see y'all then
0: okay picture this it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you